From the Center for Strategic and International Studies, this is Citizens in Training, a podcast about the unlikely story of the United Arab Emirates military conscription program. I'm John Alterman, a senior vice president here at CSIS, the Zbigniew Brzezinski Chair in Global Security and Strategy, and director of the Middle East Program. And I'm Margot Balboni, a research associate in the Middle East Program. In 2015, I first started hearing that the UAE was instituting a draft, but I didn't know much about it. After doing some initial digging with Margot, we became fascinated by what was clearly a massive project, one whose scope and ambitions went far beyond our expectations. Far from just a reaction to regional security pressures, the UAE's conscription program is an ambitious generational intervention to shape a new kind of citizen for the future. But why choose a military framework to pursue goals that range from national cohesion to workforce development to tackling an obesity and diabetes crisis? And why now? The UAE's move bucks a global trend away from conscription since the end of the Cold War. Can the UAE achieve the ambitious goals it set out for its national service program? What are the implications if it does, and what are the implications if it doesn't? And what can the UAE's neighbors and partners learn from the experience? To explore these questions, we're talking with a remarkable group of experts about the UAE's bold experiment to build a new kind of citizenry through a military framework. This series accompanies a report we wrote on Citizens in Training, Conscription and Nation Building in the UAE. You can find it on the CSIS website at www.csis.org slash UAE conscription. We kick off our series with one of the most knowledgeable and thoughtful scholars of the Gulf today. Dr. F. Gregory Gauz III is professor at Texas A&M University, and I've known Greg for almost 30 years. Greg is the author of three seminal books and many articles on the politics of the Middle East. He focuses particularly on the Arabian Peninsula and the Gulf. In this episode, Greg discusses what the UAE's conscription program reveals about its view of challenges at home and in the region. He reflects on what it means to apply a military model for social engineering, a topic we'll explore throughout this series. He also assesses the conscription project's durability and potential to spread beyond the UAE. As you read this study, what does it tell you about how the UAE sees its threat environment? Does 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 this plan on conscription suggest that the UAE sees things in a fundamentally different way than its neighbors or pretty much the same way? Well, I I certainly think that it sees uh, the solutions to the threat environment differently than its neighbors. Uh, I think that it sees many of the same threats, but the idea of mobilizing your population to try to confront those threats is something very different from really all the rest of the Gulf state, even, even the Saudis. Uh, and I think that that the concentration on kind of the internal elements of this program, I don't think anybody, I don't think even uh, Mohammed bin Zayed believes that by building an Emirati uh, a defense force through conscription, he's going to be able to to fight wars uh, on his own against against enemies. Uh, I think that the UAE still needs allies if it's going to uh, confront its its external security ca- challenges. But I'm struck by how much this focuses on the internal security challenges. Some of the training materials we were able to review in our research make clear that the domestic goals of national service are far from an afterthought. As we discuss in our report, the National Service Program strives to foster in conscripts a strong sense of belonging to the UAE. 
It also tries to instill a sense of responsibility to contribute to its development and security. The effective leader of Abu Dhabi, Mohammed bin Zayed, told conscripts in 2016, whether you're wearing these uniforms or working in any institution in the UAE, you are the real investment. Greg reminds us that the questions National Service is trying to answer are the same ones occupying leaders across the Gulf. What is our citizenry going to do with themselves? How are they going to be productive contributors to society? And, and you know, you hear that kind of talk in the other Gulf states, but you don't see this kind of movement. Do you think that balance has been shifting between the focus on external threats and the focus on internal threats over the last 10 years, 20 years, five years? So I think that all of these regimes, including the Emirates, always looked to internal threats as their most important source of threat because the, I, I think in general in the Middle East, and I, I think this is generally in the in, in the developing world, if you will, uh, your threats emerge internally. And, and look, the Arab Spring would just would just consolidate that feeling. But I do think that that uh, Sheikh Mohammed bin Zayed has been more focused on on how he can independently deal with external threats. I mean, the fact that the UAE military has been deployed into Yemen is, you know, really a game changer. It's it's completely it's a completely different approach than the Gulf states and even Saudi Arabia have have used in the past. Since 2015, the UAE has joined Saudi Arabia's campaign against Houthi rebels fighting the internationally recognized government of Abd Rabah Mansour Hadi in Yemen. The Saudi-led coalition views the Houthis as a meddling hand of Iranian influence in their backyard. The UAE has been among the most active players in the coalition, taking and holding territory in what's become a protracted conflict. And as Greg explained, the UAE's increasingly assertive approach to external threats has also meant assuming new risks. Here's Greg again. These are not states that deploy their militaries outside their borders. And, and here's the UAE deploying its military into Yemen. That's that's a really new thing. And and so even though I think that that internal threats are still the most important ones for these countries, here's here's a leader who wants to be able to deploy outside its borders. And that's that's risky because, you know, inside your borders, you have a lot more control about what's going on outside your borders as the as the Emiratis are finding in Yemen, uh, your your uh, your ability to control goes way down. One of the most significant impacts is that the UAE now has to contend with battle casualties for the first time since independence. While comprehensive figures aren't publicly available, some estimates put the number of Emirati soldiers killed in Yemen above 100. For a country with only a million or so citizens, the impact of these losses has been profound. Meanwhile, national services driven these events much closer to home. In September 2015, an attack in Yemen killed 45 Emirati troops. It was the single greatest loss of life for the military since the country's founding. Notably, it took place less than a week after the fourth class of National Service recruits began their basic training. This was just days after one of those recruits suffered a fatal heart attack on base. Are there parts of this that you think are hard to make work? Are there parts that you think might only work in the UAE but really aren't replicable in other places in, in the neighborhood? No, I mean, I think that, that this whole conscription plan is replicable 
it's ref, it's replicable everywhere in in the Gulf states. Uh, but I think that that there are potential long term consequences that could be negative for these monarchical regimes. I mean, you know, one of the things about uh, a conscription, in, at least in its historical, the way it's understood historically, is that kind of conscription into mass armies in Europe was one of the contributing factors toward toward pressures for, for greater uh, popular participation in politics. Uh, and I think that, that that's something that uh, I'm not sure has been part of the thinking in the Emirates. You know, uh, in the report, you said that, that one of the things about the conscription program is to, to set Emiratis apart. But they're already set apart, right? They're only 10% roughly of the population of their own country. And and so they they are set apart kind of every time they walk through uh, through through their their towns, every time they walk through or drive through their cities, they know that they're different from these other people. Uh, they dress differently in many in many cases they speak different a different language uh, you know the the majority of the people in in the UAE do not have Arabic as their as their first language now I think that that there's already a distinctiveness to citizenship in these places but but Sheikh Mohammed and and the leadership of the Emirates wants a different kind of distinctiveness a more contributory a contributory sense of citizenship but but when citizens start to contribute, they might also start saying, well, if we can contribute on these issues, why can't we contribute on decision making? Although you could argue that by by creating this citizenship through a military paradigm, you were ensuring that there's a, a command structure that it's embedded in. Yeah, I think that that's the theory, but it didn't work in Europe. I mean, is there, well, is there something about military organizations that, that lends itself to some things and doesn't lend itself to others? Well, first, I think that, that everybody's got to realize that it's not going to work. And when I say it's not going to work, it's not going to work 100%, right? The, the, no no uh, plan of social engineering completely transforms a society. Uh, and, I, and I think we, we've seen that so many times in history that it's obvious. So I think that what what the the Emiratis are doing here, the leadership is doing is is setting really high goals. And those goals that you discussed in the report are 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 encompassing. I mean, they, they go from from education through through the military to to kind of personal health and hygiene to to, uh, you know, uh, Kind of change mindsets about how you see the state and your role in the state. This, this is an incredibly ambitious approach, and and we should all recognize that that you know they're not going to hit their marks at a hundred percent success rate. So I think that that the question is, are you gonna are you gonna inculcate among a larger number of citizens uh, a, a more positive and contributory contributory uh, uh, attitude toward the state? And I think that there's a good shot at that. Uh, the negative implications here, right, are that uh, this will devolve into a, a, a situation where uh, the only people who actually get conscripted are uh, uh, poorer people, right, and that there are too many ways to get out of it, uh, even in, in, in a country that you know really well. Uh, Egypt, right? We always heard stories about people getting out of doing their 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 national their military service through through connections and 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 you know. So if if it just becomes another government bureaucracy through which 
you know, political and economic influence can get you out of what you have to do, then then it it, it almost works in the opposite direction of what they want. Do you think it, it sort of changes the, the balance in the Gulf if this becomes something that, that other countries try to do and the Emiratis are really leading the way? Does that does that consolidate a sort of Emirati leadership position they wouldn't otherwise have? Hmm. That's a tough one. I mean, I, I think just given the overall demographics of the Gulf, it's always going to be hard to challenge the Saudis. You know, I mean, the Qataris are trying to do it now and, and it's hard. You know, they're, they're paying a price. I think Emirati leadership in term among the smaller states might be something that one can talk about. But if it's not done in conjunction with the Saudis, then, you know, there's a big hurdle to exercising leadership. Greg knows Saudi Arabia better than anybody I know. I asked him whether the UAE's national service program strikes him as something the Saudi leadership, and particularly Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman, might want to replicate or adapt. Well, if, if I could predict what Mohammed bin Salman was going to do, I'd be a lot richer than I am today, that's for sure. Uh, I think that conscription in Saudi Arabia would be a very different kettle of fish. The Saudis don't have any problem recruiting into the military. Uh, uh, because they have a much larger population base and the per capita income and the income distribution is such that that Saudis need jobs, they're able to recruit. And, and you know, joining the National Guard is, is a good job in Saudi Arabia for many Saudis of kind of middle and lower middle class status. Uh, and so I don't think that they see a need for it. And the social engineering element, I think, uh, it might be attractive to Mohammed bin Salman, but he has so much on his plate right now. It, it, it makes me wonder if he's going to take this on. So the the previous generation in Saudi Arabia, when they thought about the military, I think they thought about it as as a source of potential coups, because you know the generation before MBS, they lived through the Nasserist period. They lived through a, a, a number of attempted coups in Saudi Arabia itself in the 60s. Uh, and and uh, and so I, they always kept the military at arm's length, and they divided it right. They divided it between the regular military and the national guard, and and so I think that there's perhaps at the elite levels a little bit more of a of a distrust of the military, and MBZ is a military guy, right? He he did service. I don't think MBS uh, ever served in the Saudi military. My understanding is MBS never served, and and I think. You know, for these guys who who uh, we we all look at the world through the lens of our own experience, uh, and so MBS never had that kind of positive experience that obviously MBZ felt that you know my military training really made me, you know, was was a big part of making me who I am today. Uh, so I I don't see it on the horizon in Saudi Arabia. As a final question, one of the things that you've certainly seen in the Gulf over many many years are initiatives that get a lot of splash at the beginning and then are, are watered down in the first few years of implementation and then five years or seven years or maybe 10 years away, nobody can remember it even happened. Uh, does this strike you as the kind of thing that is likely to have legs, that's likely to endure, that's likely to evolve into something durable? Or do you feel that this this issue of conscription is too ambitious, too uh, too broad to sustain for either the Emirates or 
some of their neighbors or, or some of their large neighbors? So I, I, I think that it's sustainable because, A, you've got a leader who is young, relatively young. He's going to be around for a while, God willing, uh, uh, to, to see it through. I mean, I think a lot of the problems in the Gulf is that the leaders come, the leaders go, uh, especially as they got older in Saudi and some of the other countries. And it was harder to sustain that because, you know, a new leader comes in and he has his own things that he wants to do. I think Mohammed bin Zayed's going to be around for a while. And of course, they had the money. Uh, you know, uh, money is not an object uh, as opposed to, say, Oman or Bahrain. Uh, money's not an object in the Emirates for this. So I think that there's a, a, a strong possibility that we're going to see, you know, a serious conscription program going forward. Uh, but I think over time it, it will – and this is a guess on my part obviously – but I, I think it will become less ambitious as we get more data. I think one, you know, one of the things about your report is that it was too early out – it was too early in I should say – to get any kind of, of of real quantitative data on on results, on the measures that the Emirati leadership would like to see conscription effect, and they're and, certainly measuring them. Oh, yeah, but but you know, too early, right? I mean, you, it would have to be. I think. What did you say? Ten years out in the report, and I, I think that that's that's reasonable to get a body of data that will let you say, okay, what what have been the health effects? On the population as a whole, or, or on the male population, you know, what's the what what are the effects of people who've gone through versus people who haven't, uh, in terms of of uh, you know, pick your pick your social indicator, uh, uh, you know, social network involvement, uh, 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 per capita income, uh, all sorts of things, right? Uh, and so, I think a lot will depend on on how successful they, they, they can measure these things to see that it's working. If it's working modestly, then I imagine it'll get a more modest attention from the leadership. That concludes our first episode. Next week, we'll chat with Kristen smith Duane at the Arab Gulf States Institute in Washington, who discusses the emergence of a so-called new nationalism in the Gulf. She'll weigh in on how conscription could change the way a new generation of youth relate to the state at a moment of overlapping transitions. You can read more about the UAE's conscription program in the full Citizens in Training report produced by the Middle East Program at the Center for Strategic and International Studies, or CSIS, as we like to call ourselves. You can find it along with a two-page executive summary at www.csis.org UAE conscription. If this is your first time listening to this series, don't forget to subscribe on Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts, leave us a review. Share it with your friends and colleagues and let them know about this mini-series too. Let us know what you think by tweeting us at CSIS Mideast.